Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Rise Together podcast. My name is Dave Hollis. I am your host, and I am joined by a friend who is a motivational speaker, a writer, a coach, a host of the Truth About Things That Suck podcast, and more. Her name is Mindy Henderson. After a 20-year career in high tech, Mindy shifted her focus toward helping others realize their potential and normalizing disability. Driven to build a world that welcomes and includes everyone, Mindy advocates for universal design in air travel, architecture, and fashion. Her upcoming book, The Truth About Things That Suck, examines those universal things in life that suck for all of us, intertwining a variety of Mindy's own personal stories of learning to travel, hard roads, lessons she learned along the way, and how you can apply those lessons to your own life. And beyond this amazing introductory bio, I have had the pleasure of getting to hang out with Mindy once a month for quite a bit of time in what for us has been some really fun one-on-one, I don't know what we call it, coaching, mentoring, something that has afforded us an opportunity to really get to know each other as you were writing the book that we are going to talk about today, um, you are awesome, but you're also my friend. And I'm just so, so grateful that you are on the show today. Please, ladies and gentlemen, take off your hats and welcome Mindy Henderson to the Rise Together podcast. What would the world look like if we all pushed ourselves to have candid conversations with people who didn't look like us, think like us, or live like us? I'm Dave Hollis. And I'm on a mission to learn more about this world by meeting more of the people who live here. You may not always agree with everything you hear, but I guarantee you'll come away more informed on topics you might never have thought to seek out before. This isn't just a podcast, it's a community. And when we raise each other up, we all rise together. Thank you so much for having me. I am more excited than I could possibly tell you to be here with you today. And you are are just an amazing human. I know that anybody who's listening knows that, but I just want to recognize how generous and kind you've been to give me your, your time and your wisdom as I've been going through this book process. I know that it's going to be even more successful than it would have been because of your guidance. So Thank you. And thank you oh. for, for being my friend. You are so welcome. All right. So uh, I want to tell the story of how we met and I then go to the memory machine and the memory machine does not have a full story. I, what I want to say is you were someone who was coming into coaching. I want to say back when Rachel was doing coaching and we were having a little studio audience and then you jumped into my online coaching and then because you're a baller, you shot, you took your shot and you basically just reached out and was like, uh, hey, what do you think about being a mentor? And I just don't say no. And I appreciated the fact that you had the like willingness to put yourself out there. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And that was, I don't know, a year ago, maybe more than a year ago. It's been a while. It's been a little while. Yeah. And you know, if there's one thing I've learned in life, it's that you have to ask for what you want. And, you know, if you don't ask the answer, 100% of the time will be no. And so I, um, I have a funny story I could tell you about the very first time I learned that lesson. I was a college senior doing an internship for Texas hearing and service dogs. And we, I, I was a, I was a PR intern. And so I had gotten us hooked up with an interview on one of the news stations and uh, I, I did that by calling the woman who hosted this particular news show and asked if we could please come on and be on her show and talk about service dogs. And apparently that's not how things are done. <laughs> but she said yes, because I don't know, I guess she thought it was precious that I called and asked and didn't know any better, didn't know the proper channels and things to go through. But yeah, she applauded me after we were done doing that interview that day and said, you know, you got to ask for what you want in life. Good for you. Yeah, <laughs> so. I, I love it. I mean, I've told the story a hundred times. It's in my last book, the uh, Super Bowl story of the very, very earliest part of my career at Fox, where 
Fox was hosting a Super Bowl in Miami. I'm working in Los Angeles. I have no good reason to go. And when I go and approach the person who is deciding on the list, hey, would you mind having me added to the list of people that want to help at the Super Bowl? They politely but very directly said, no, we don't need you there. And (laughs) I, uh, I asked why. I was interested in understanding the rationale. And they said, because we don't have it in the budget and we're not sure what you can do. And so I, at the time, like I made $22,600. There was no way I could actually do very much in financial terms to make my way there. I was already eating top ramen a ton of times each week to just be able to afford rent. But I decided that I was going to buy myself a plane ticket and coordinate with someone else who was already going to spend the night on their like floor in a hotel in Florida. I went back to the person who was holding the list, like as if it was like a red rope at a club. I was like, uh, George, uh, Mr. Greenberg, uh, I uh, bought myself a plane ticket. I've coordinated a room. The reason why you've suggested I can't go, it's been eliminated. Uh, Would you consider putting me on the list of people that are going to go there? And he said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I will do literally anything that you need. (laughs) And there was something about just like the unwillingness to take no, or maybe said a different way, like they represented a reason why yes wasn't an answer, mm-hmm. deconstructing it by eliminating that excuse or taking that reason away from them made yes the only answer. And uh, I got to go, it was a really, really fun trip, but yeah. I always admire people like you who are just like, hey, I got to put myself out there. It's always going to be a no if I don't yeah. actually try Is that something that was born in you? Is that something that has been born because of the wheelchair that you ride in or the disability that you have worked your life with? Like, where does that come from? You know, that's a, it's a really good question. And I don't know that I fully know the answer to it, except that I've always been kind of, I I don't know. I'm like a, a, a roller coaster riding, zip lighting, you know, daredevil at heart. And I think that the way that I've I've had to live my life, you know, I think I just figured something out. Actually, this is kind of fun. I think that the way that I've had to live my life has has encouraged some of that in me because, you know, apart from being the daredevil at heart that I am and liking to take risks and things, you know, there are a lot of examples in my life where I've gotten into situations that I hadn't maybe anticipated how hard they were going to be. And I I just sort of assumed and took for granted that I could do something And so I would sort of look or leap before I look. And it was, it kind of wasn't until I was, you know, knee deep or waist deep in this thing that I was trying to do. And by then you just have to sort of figure it out because, you know, there you are in the middle of of the ocean. Swim. Yeah. And so I think that I've learned along the way that there's not much in life. Um, that we go after that's, that's going to actually kill us, you know? And so, yeah. And so I've learned to be very willing to put myself out there to ask for what I want. I know that if I don't ask, the answer will for sure be no. And even if I ask and the answer is no, it may sting a little bit, but it's not going to kill me. And I probably will learn something useful from it. And, and yeah, I think, you know, things like um, going away to, to college and figuring out how to live in a dorm, I didn't realize how hard I was going to be until I was so in it and so committed that I kind of had to figure it out. And that's a little bit of a scary place to be, but the more you do it, the less scary it becomes. Yeah. So. What's interesting is. I, I will confess to like having something of a reaction and I, like I want to slap the back of my hand. You say, I'm a daredevil. And I, of course, know that you're in a wheelchair. And there's something in those two things existing at the same time that acts as something of almost cognitive dissonance. I'm like, yeah. what do you mean you're a daredevil? You're in a wheelchair. Don't you know that? I mean, it's like a ridiculous thing, but there's, there's something in like bias for me 
presupposing that you, because of who you are and how you are and how you get around, that you wouldn't be that way. What, like, what are some of the misconceptions that you've run into through your life that people just assume, oh, well, she's in a wheelchair. So of course she couldn't dot, dot, dot. I mean, you know, like something that's more physical, but like experiencing certain things or liking certain things or doing certain things that um, is just a a showcase of some of the naivete of, of course, you can do anything that you put your mind to. You just got to do it in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to answer your question, I think the biggest thing is you get underestimated a lot. (laughs) You know, I, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm really, really proud of a lot of the things that I've, I've accomplished in life. And when people hear about some of the things that I've done, they, they tend to be fairly surprised, you know? And so to, to tell someone that, yeah, I went to college, I lived in a dorm, um, I drive a car, I'm a mom, I went to China to adopt our daughter, I've sung on national television. You know, I, I think that there's, there's just sort of a, a syndrome of underestimating what a person can do, maybe because of their, their physical challenges. But, you know, I I really, really caution people to estimate people or to to create expectations of a person around their physical abilities. Yeah, so good. So (laughs) the thing is, I'm sure that everyone listening at some point, though not intentional, has done something like that for any kind of people group, any kind of, you know, thing that they have presumed, of course, goes with. Um, a person who looks like this or moves like that or is um, in or out of a disability class, whatever it might end up being. And some of that, would, like, is that societal? Is that taught? Is that just, you know, again, like kind of naivete? Like, where does that come from? I think, well, I, I don't know that there's an easy answer to it. I will say that you're you're 100% right. We've all done it. Absolutely. I've done it. Um, you know, we, we all have biases and uh, opinions that are sort of maybe uninformed opinions. And I think that's exactly what it is. I think that if you don't, if you've never had a disabled person in your life, if you don't have a family member, if you've never had a friend or a coworker or anything who had a disability or was in a wheelchair, it kind of, it stands to reason to me that it's, you know, you're, you're maybe not going to be completely comfortable with it. And, and I like to say that out loud and I like to recognize that because it's, it's true. And, you know, I, I think that a lot of people put a lot of pressure on each other to be comfortable with things that they have never been exposed to. And I, I think that's a lot to ask of a person. I think, I think you can be, ask a person to be open-minded and, and, you know, try, but I don't think you can necessarily ask a person to be completely comfortable with something the first time that they're experiencing it. A little exposure therapy, you know, just kind of the possibility of there being a different perspective, a different story, a different way of thinking about Mm -hmm. whatever it is that they've been thinking about. You said something earlier that's sticking with me, and it was just this, you know, this headline that most of the things that we try that we haven't before aren't going to kill us. Yeah. I can say as someone who identifies as a pretty practical, pragmatic person on the whole, I tended to kind of take the safer route most of the time because that was what either that was what good boys do, or that was the way to avoid dying, you know, in my like worst case scenario, creating scenarios of, what might happen, my brain tends to go to the very worst thing that could happen. And so I will just completely stay away from anything that could produce growth or provoke fear or have me in any way feeling uncomfortable or threatened because what if it led to that worst case thing? And what was interesting for me is in divorce, this thing that I, you know, just like, I I didn't think was going to be part of my story. 
And when it became part of my story, felt like it was in some ways a betrayal of having played it safe or having, you know, tried to do things uh, in a right way. And guess what? I did plenty of things wrong, right? Like this is also part of like your self-preservation mechanism. Like, oh man, I, I checked all the boxes. How are we getting divorced? Like, ah, get out of here, man. <laughs> but in the aftermath of divorce, I had a fundamentally wholesale different feeling about exposing myself to new things in part because I thought that if I were to play it by the book or play it safe or do the things that you're told you're supposed to do, that the outcome would, would follow. And here the outcome was, was different. And so it felt in some ways like, oh, well, forget the book, <laughs> you know, forget, forget the way that I have been taught or told you're supposed to be. Um, open yourself up to the possibility of yes. Mm -hmm. It has been a crazy couple of years, but I've, I've been exposed to and grown from and learned from and made a ton of mistakes around new experiences and different things in part because the construct that previously was keeping me from veering into something new broke apart when my marriage did. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if like you can identify was there something, or do you think there's something in people, right? You've got a book about the truth about hard things and how to kind of handle those things, be resilient through those things, learn through those things, see the similarities that exist between all of us in suffering with those things. If someone, you know, is still kind of like playing it safe at the expense of growing, at the expense of learning, is there a thing for you that you say, man, this is the thing that changed the way I thought about my appetite for risk or my appetite for new or my appetite for something that just deviates from comfort? Yeah, I, I think so. My my career history, I, I had a 20 year career in high tech, like you said, and it was a very it was a very safe career. It was a very traditional career. It was what I grew up thinking that my life would be like. It was a, you know, nine to five, eight to five, drive to the office every day and, and do your job and climb the corporate ladder thing. And three years ago, a little more than three years ago now, the company that I was working for was acquired. And uh, I ended up losing my job. I was, you know, as tends to happen when things, when, when companies are acquired, they were doing cost cutting and reorganizations and all of these things. And long story short, they moved uh, a lot of our operations overseas. And the, I had been with this company for like six years and they weren't doing a lot of other hiring. And so I decided I was going to move on to my next big thing. And with 20 years of experience under my belt and working in the software industry in Austin, Texas, that's, you know, very big, but very small at the same time, I thought for sure I would be able to find a job right away, something bigger, better. And 10 months later, and I am not kidding you, 300 and I think 21 um, job applications later, wow. I was still looking and I had my, my bathroom floor moment when I had to make a decision and I realized that because I was, I was getting scared and I was getting angry and our, our savings were dwindling and it's amazing the places that your mind will go when you're sitting in a space like that. And I started hearing some of the thoughts that I was having. And I realized that in that moment, I could either become the worst version of myself and be this angry, jaded, frustrated person that was going to come out in everything that I did, or I could hire my own self and start a career as a speaker and a writer and do all of these things. And I think that what I realized in this in, in a very lengthy way, we'll answer your question. I think what I realized was that you can be scared and brave at the same time. So good. And so that's one of my favorite things to say to people because, you know, fear is, is real and fear is okay. Fear serves a purpose, but 
I caution people to not let fear stop them from being brave. Be responsible. I, I have to put a little disclaimer on it. You know, be be responsible, but you know, know that you can you can be rate brave. You can take a risk. You can try some things, and the worst case scenario is probably not all that bad when you really break it down. Where were you uh, end of October last year? Oh, the funny thing is. You have been along for the crazy roller coaster of these last six months of my life. Like, how are you doing, Dave? I'm like, well, you know, uh, there's a spiral that's happening here. Welcome. <laughs> down. But, uh, you know, what you just said is the thing that, like, I just did not access in the like, moment where my greatest fears were coming to life instead of choosing courage, which, by the way, was in the title of the book. Feels like a miss. Uh, I, I mean, part of what has been so, so awesome about taking time away is the like rebuilding of a foundation that was just not sturdy enough to handle some of my biggest fears in a lot of things has been the work of 2022. And I am, I hate the fact that I had to, you know, not be courageous when I got scared, but I also can't be mad at it now because in so many ways, it was the thing that had to happen to force me in some ways to my knees to reassess why I couldn't access that courage when I needed it most in the hopes that the learning that comes and of course learning the hard way. I mean, like, I feel like I've been a glutton for learning and growing, but in the hardest ways possible, but I can't be mad. I can't be upset about that because they, in, in some ways, these lessons in this last half year's worth of time have been the richest and most meaningful of my life because of the magnitude of the fall, of the pain, of the embarrassment, of the whatever. And so, um, you know, if you're someone who's listening, who wishes they were like Mindy and was just like, you know, I'm gonna be courageous, even though I'm scared. Um, yeah, me too, uh, in, in, in very recent history. But if you find yourself inside of something of a trap that ends up having you have to learn a lesson the hard way, um, I hope that you can also see that there is something to also be grateful for in the way that you will be taught, even if you don't enjoy the teaching while it's happening. Right? Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah, yeah, that's that's so true. And you know, and what I'm thinking right now is that I know that I know that we can make it sound really easy. You know, just be courageous, and it's it's not that easy, but it is a muscle that you build over time, and fortunately. I have had a lot of opportunities in the course of my life to be courageous and to choose to do the harder thing. And I've had a lot of, you know, disability aside, I've had a lot of other challenges in my life that have forced me into situations where I had to really, really sort of examine how I was showing up for those things and who I wanted to show up as in those things. And, you know, I knew that I didn't want to be a bitter person. I didn't want to be an angry person. I didn't want to be a person who, you know, just sort of took the hits and and rolled over. I wanted to stand up to the hits and I wanted to, you know, I, I always say that The thing that, you know, going back to my disability, the thing that people thought was going to make my life so, so, so hard and prevent me from doing so many of the things that I wanted to do. And it has been hard, but it's actually been the thing that's become my greatest purpose um, in the the work that I'm doing now and the, the lessons that I'm getting to teach and, you know, the experiences that I've had that I'm getting to share. Yeah. Well, you said this to me at one point, I think it was you that, you know, everyone's got a wheelchair, people can just, right. And so like, in some ways um, it's a double-edged sword, right? You said something about being underestimated, which I do want to, I have a follow-up to that, which is if anyone here who's listening, finds themselves feeling like they themselves have been underestimated. How do you leverage that into something of a superpower? But then beyond that, I'll I'll answer that in just one sec, but then beyond that, 
But beyond that, like, does it ever get to you or infuriate you that because someone can see that you're in a chair, that you have a disability, that they may sometimes jump to a conclusion that that's your hardest thing in the day? Like, yeah, like you're in a wheelchair, but you also might be in an anxiety state or having a battle with depression or going through something with your partner or whatever it ends up being. And maybe I'm making an assumption that that would be a thing that people wouldn't also want to consider because, well, I can see she's in a chair. Her hardest thing today must be that she's got this chair as a part of her existence. Talk to me about the idea of leveraging the underestimated you as a strength and how because it feels somewhat connected, someone thinking that your chair is your thing can either um, create something to kind of show them, oh, no, no, I'm much more than my chair, or be something somewhat somewhat frustrating that you might be um, underestimated for having layers and layers of complexity for what it is to be you, a human being who just like us, that aren't inside of a disabled category, processing every single day. Yeah. And I think that's why I wanted to write the book that I did because, um, you know, the first chapter is on disability and illness, which is, I, I still think a very universal struggle. If you are not a person with a disability or an illness and, and anything from, you know, cancer to Parkinson's to mental illness to, you know, so many different things, chances are really good that, you know, someone who is, but I wanted, you know, and I, and I talked a lot about my, my challenges and my struggles being a person with a disability, but the other chapters that I wrote are about other things. There's a chapter on fear and failure and job loss and the struggle to become a mom and feeling lost and rejection and And all of these different things that have also been very real struggles and challenges in my life that sometimes had something to do with my disability, but a lot of the time had absolutely nothing to do with my disability. And these are things that, you know, I I wanted people to be able to open up this book and find themselves somewhere in it. And I think that you know, these are all things that are so universal across the planet. You know, if you are a human person, you have probably felt rejection. You have probably felt loneliness. So many people through COVID lost their jobs. Dozens of women um, all on my own who have had a struggle to become a mom. And so, you know, I, I did want people to know that there's a whole person here um, with a whole set of, like you said, layers and struggles and, and, and wins and triumphs and, you know, all of these things um, that has nothing to do with the, the disability. Yeah. As a person who has read this book and it is good, this is not a book for people exclusively inside of the disabled community. It's not a, a book exclusively for women or for people in or out of the job market. It's, it's for every human being because mm-hmm. going through hard things is universal. I mean, I will say like one of the most beautiful silver linings of the craziness that has been my 2022 is inside of treatment, I found myself just surrounded by suffering, right? There wasn't a person who wasn't suffering with something, whether it was mental illness or addiction or both, every single person sitting in the room. Mm-hmm. And I walked in with a little bit of a, you know, I don't know that I fit here. And I sat in that room for what should be, and what ended up being about eight weeks worth of time. And what I came to appreciate so profoundly is the universal nature of struggle in humans. Yeah. And what comes when you can finally see, oh, my struggle isn't special necessarily. My struggle is what, it makes me part of the human race or the human yeah. Um, what it gave for me was just this profound feeling of or sense of empathy for everyone, anyone, because I think we take for granted that when people are suffering or going through hard things, 
Um, we're always going to know it by seeing a look on their face. They're going to they're going to show outward signs of struggle that's living and existing inside, and it's just mm-hmm. not. It's and, not true, right? It's just not true. And part of what comes with that, or at least the way that it softened my heart, was when someone would be mean or would uh, you know say something that would hurt my feelings or was having what felt like uh, them behaving in a way that was contrary to how you'd hope someone would show up for you in your life or be decent or, or kind. Every single time, I immediately was brought back to the witnessing of this group therapy session that I sat inside of for eight weeks and recognized, oh man, that reaction is a reflection of pain that exists inside of them, some suffering that exists inside of them. And rather than immediately being angry or punitive or wanting to retaliate, I find my I found myself like, oh man, they must be going through it. You know, it's not the easiest thing when they really say something that hurts your feelings. Yeah. But the more that it hurts, the more that I found myself like, oh, I don't know what this person is going through, but man, I hope they get through it. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And it's not easy to do because, you know, when, when someone hurts you, especially when they're, they're, they they don't even know you and there doesn't seem to be a reason for it and, and everything. It's so easy to have these knee-jerk reactions to, to what the person has done or said, but every single one of us has problems you know, we just, everybody does, maybe not every second of every day, but we all have our own set of problems that we're dealing with. And what I try to remember is that, you know, there are, there are very, very visible challenges like my disability. You can look at, look at me and you can't miss it, you know? And, and, you know, that's for me, it's, it's kind of helpful because, um, you know, someone, sees a very visible challenge like this. And I actually get to see the, the compassion and the kindness that comes out of people on a daily basis. But what I try to remember is that not everybody's challenges are so visible. And, you know, if you're at the grocery store, the person who just crossed your path may be having the worst day of their lives and we could, we would never know it. So, you know, I try to approach people with as much kindness as I can, even if it's hard, you know, there's, there's usually never a downside to being kind. What's interesting in our relationship, this is, I might sound crazy if I'm saying it wrong, tell me, so (laughs) say it this way, but I am reminded of your disability because of the conversations we have about your work. Yeah. Because I see your face, not because I see your chair. It, it's one of these things. And again, like, I don't want it to be a thing that just like kind of blends away in a way that doesn't honor the truth of your experience, but it was something at the beginning. You are the most consistent person I've ever had in my life who lives in a wheelchair or is in a wheelchair. And that was a thing at the very beginning of us spending time together that I always saw because I'm not that often in the presence of someone who happens to be in a chair. Yeah. And now more than a year's worth of time hanging out, you know, at least once a month, sometimes more. I, it's not, it's not, again, like it's not like colorblind or like wheelchair blind. It's no. just a thing that doesn't register as being the most important thing about my friend Mindy. Mm-hmm. It tends to be an accessory to the, the full story of who you are. And again, I, I think, you know, for me, and this is a no duh kind of thing, but the power of, uh, you know, the hope in a, in a show like this is to try and bring people who've had some different life experiences together to create that empathy bridge. But it's in community with people who had different life experiences that some of the things that maybe draw our focus in a way that uh, don't allow us to get to know the person, but the yeah. condition of the person or the circumstance of the person or the class of the person or the color of the person. It's like, man, I want to always honor those nuances that make that person who they are, but I don't want to get lost in understanding who Mindy is because I only ever, like the first gate that I get through is the fact that you sit in a chair because it's not who you are. It's part of your story, but it's not who you are. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things that, you know, like I said a minute ago, it's hard to miss. 
So, you know, when you, when you first encounter me or someone like me, you know, it's, it's prevalent, it's, it's prominent. And of course you're going to notice, but I think that's, it it kind of harkens back to, to what we were saying earlier about exposure, you know, and, and the more you're exposed to something, the more you spend time with a person, the more normal and natural something becomes, Um, Not that, like you said, not that you don't see it anymore, but it becomes less important in the story of the person and your relationship with that person. And, you know, that's, that's one of my hopes for the world, not to get grandiose, but, you know, a lot of what I do is, is kind of advocacy for individuals with, with disabilities. And I think that the community of people with disabilities is still one of the most underrepresented groups in our country. 100%. And yeah, and the the 20 years that I spent working in corporate America, I worked for some big big companies with thousands of employees. I was the only person in a wheelchair I ever saw. And so, you know, my my point in saying this is just that, you know, I I think that if we give diversity, a a more well-rounded definition and, you know, hire more people that don't look like us into our workplaces and things. We we have to give it a chance to become normal for us. Um, And that, and it takes some intention um, to surround yourself with, with people who don't look like you or do life like you, but it does become very, very normal. And it opens your your eyes and your world to different experiences. Yeah, so that's I, all I'll say about that. <laughs> the thing is, I love it. It's so interesting. I'm doing some work in real time, lending a little bit of my time and experience in like what I would call in being an integrator, like taking uh-huh. some vision. They're the they're the what person and trying to articulate the how. All right, great. Uh, business operator, leader, CEO. You've cast a vision for what you hope for this company, this nonprofit, whatever it is, and you don't know how to get there. And I love to solve puzzles. And so I've had a history in my work past of puzzle solving. And I just, I I get, I get excited about it. I've been doing this work uh, among other things with a client who um, they're friends, but they have a platform called the lucky few, Josh and Heather Avis are their names. They've been on the show before, Um, but they work inside of the Down syndrome community, and, and their whole mission is to shout the worth of the people who are inside of this community. Yeah. Storytell around um, what it is, just like not in like a way that like inflates or creates some grandiose or different thing, but just, hey, this is what it is to be a person that has Down syndrome mm-hmm. in this country or in this classroom or in this workplace in a way that doesn't make it seem special or different or weird. It's just normal. And uh, I think there's something amazing about that for you, especially in the way that your 20 year career took this turn into you doing the work as a speaker, as a podcast host, now as an author, so that as you storytell, what people are going to find is that there are wildly more similarities in the stories that you tell. I mean, they're really, really funny and clever <laughs> touching and everything else. All the things that, of course, any person that reads, irrespective of their, um, you know, ability to walk or not walk, they're yeah. going to see themselves in your stories for sure. And I, yeah. and I hope that beyond encouraging people to be more resilient and believe, of course, that they can do literally anything that they put their mind to over yeah. things grow from having to be stuck inside of something that stinks, um, that they're also going to see, oh, wow. I'm really similar to, I'm very, very much alike in, in so many ways to Mindy and her story, which is part of what I think ends up being such a rad side benefit to the advocacy and the work. It's also mm-hmm. normalizing you as a person that has the same feelings and the same experiences and the same, you know, kind of all of it. You just happen to have a, a you know, a thing that is different from some of the people that might see that. Yeah. And it in no way makes you different as much as it makes you wildly 99% the same. It is. And regardless of physical ability, color, you know, gender, you know, you name it, the the differences that could exist between us. 
and this is kind of gross, but if you peel back our skin and look at what's underneath, we're all human beings just living a human life, which, you know, is, is exactly what you just said. And I sit down all the time, um, <laughs> but I've gone to school, I've worked jobs, I've dated, I've, you know, had, you know, my, my teenager roll her eyes at me and, you know, all of the things that everybody else out there are, are experiencing. Yep. So the book is called the truth about things that suck. Yes. Comes out on what day? So launch day is June 7th. It's available for pre-order. Getting close. We are so close. Yesterday was six weeks out. So I'm, I'm so excited. I'm so, I, you know, I've been I, I wrote my first stories, I think, when I was like 12 years old. I've always loved to write and I've always wanted to write as part of what I did. And I've actively been working on getting published for 12 years. And I've written three different nonfiction book proposals. And if you have been through the book proposal process, you know that that is like a 60 page at a minimum document. So, yeah, it's it's been a wild ride, but, you know, I, I hope that one of the things that people take away from this book is just the idea that nobody can tell me at this point in my life that every single one of us can't do every single thing that we put our minds to, you know, if, if there is something that you want, something you want to do, something you want to be, you know, the, the common denominator between every person who has ever accomplished a goal is that they didn't quit. And that, you know, you, you ask people all the time, their keys to success and, and things like that. And boy, howdy, that, that is it. Just don't, don't quit. And we can all do anything we set our minds to. I loved the process with you around this book. Ah. In part because, you know, anyone who's worked as long as you have to try and get a book published or started writing stories as far back as you did to include in a book that's going to come out now in just six weeks worth of time is definitely vested. You are, you are invested in this book. You are so passionate for the work. And that passion would translate into... Uh, we, you know, we'd have met a month earlier. We're now going to have our follow-up meeting, and you are now giving me an update on all the things that you had uh, kind of dreamed for this book in one category or another, in PR, in the way that the publisher was going to send back notes, and the cover, and the whatever. And there were so many times where I was like, "Oh my goodness, Mindy doesn't give an." about like what normally happens. She is someone who is so passionate about this work and wanting to get it in the hands of the people who she knows it can help affect that she is going to continue to ask for everything, even if that's not the kind of stuff that you ask for. And there are plenty of times where I was in a position where you're like, is that normal? And I'm like, oh man, I want to tell her so badly that yes, this is a thing that you can get, but uh, Mindy, that's the thing that you get on the fifth book after it's sold. <laughs> I might say that to you. And you were like, all right, fine. I'm still going back to the publisher and I'm still asking for it, even if it isn't a thing that I am. <laughs> and I was just like, let's go, Mindy. Come on now. I'm, I've, I've got a stubborn streak for sure. And I don't like the word no. So yeah, I, I challenge anyone to tell me no and see what happens. No, it's honestly, it's awesome. There's something almost contagious with you (laughs) and around this area that if anyone spends any kind of time with you, they will feel empowered to push for what they know they deserve, even if it isn't the way that it traditionally works or usually works for a first time author, a first time this, that, or whatever it is. You're just like, no, my work is good. It needs to get (laughs) more hands and I'm going to need your team to step up and support this thing the way it should be. And I was like, whoa. Yeah. Well, and sometimes I think, I think that comes with also though being flexible, you know, because if, if someone, if someone told me no along the way, um, and they did a lot, it's not necessary. I mean, sometimes, sometimes there's nothing you can do, but say, okay, 
that's a no, but, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and that's the thing. There's always a, but being willing to say, okay, not that, but this, you know, and, and change directions and change the form a little bit and change what it looks like. Um, but just don't be willing to quit. Yeah. I know in the book, you talk about the difference between kind of perseverance and pivoting, like when it's time to recognize that uh, you are running into a brick wall. It is not a thing that you can get through. Yeah. Is something for you, is it like gut instinct knowing, like what is it inside of you that says, hey, Mindy, you have given everything you have. I am proud of you for being unrelenting in this. And also it's time to turn right because this is yeah. a dead end. Another good question. <laughs> and I'm, I'm trying <laughs> And you turning. That's the thing. I'm like, I'm asking because I actually am curious. Have you ever turned and pivoted instead of just bl like blowing right through that stinking wall? You know, uh, yes, I have. And those are, you know, they're, they're lessons also that I learned along the way. I think the best example that I have is the, the, the job loss example that I talked about a few minutes ago, there was definitely a moment where I was slamming my head against a wall day after day, looking for this new corporate job. And there was something that was leading me in a different direction, you know, and at the risk of getting a little woo-woo, that, that bathroom floor moment that I had was me realizing that there was something very different that I was supposed to be doing. In all honesty, the allure of writing a book and being a speaker looked like a lot more fun and a lot more interesting than continuing on with these, you know, these job interviews and things. So it wasn't, it wasn't a hard sell. It was scary yeah. um, because I knew that it was going to take a minute to make any money doing any of those things. But yeah, I, I think that that was probably the, the most um, extreme example, you know, another example that's coming to mind that I wrote about in the book, I spent a long time um, in my early adulthood trying to be a country music singer. And brand for you, Mindy, I didn't realize this. Why didn't we talk about this before? I, I don't know, but it, it was fear got a hold of me actually, because, you know, I was, I was probably like 26 or 27. And I was, um, I was working a full-time job. I had gone to, you know, college, had my bachelor's working full-time, not in a job that I loved. And it wasn't, it was still, you know, a fairly entry-level kind of job that didn't really excite me. But I was also at the point where I was learning that <laughs> becoming successful at country music was really, really hard and really, really risky. And there were no guarantees and I was not getting any younger. And unfortunately, I was also realizing that being a person with a disability is actually really expensive. And so to live an adult life, you know, and I, I didn't want to just get by, I wanted to be comfortable and earn a good living and all of that. And so I actually ended up quitting music to go back to grad school um, so that my, my career would be kind of a sure thing. And that's probably the only example I can think of in life where I have actually said, okay, I, I quit. I quit this thing in favor of of this thing. And, you know, and I talk about all of this in the book, but it, it's a decision that is full of regret. And I know that um, I, I succumbed to fear and I made it very black and white where the two could have blended very easily. I had other choices, but I think it was a really good example of where, you know, fear just got the better of me. And I, and I did in that instance, I did decide to hang it up. Yeah. Well, I, so it's interesting because I know how much you talk about in the book and talk about in anything that you do, the power of mindset. But we do, in some ways, live in this dangerous space where toxic positivity and yeah. spin and rose-colored glasses feel like they can um, really become 
dangerous. They can be yeah. harmful. How do you kind of like stay? You are you are a very positive person. You are very sure of the uh, I'm gonna make this outcome the outcome that I am hoping for, wishing for, that I need for the um, you know way that it will create dominoes for other things that I'm working toward. Yeah. How do you stay connected to that positive mindset piece and not tip into anything that gets toxic in that positivity space? I think because it's genuine, you know, I I think a lot about toxic positivity is when somebody is trying to sell you something or force something on you. And over the course of my life, I have just learned who I want to show up as in this world. And it, it would be very, very easy for me to become like a, like I've said already, you know, a, a, a jaded, negative, angry kind of, kind of person. There's a lot of opportunity in my daily life. It is highly inconvenient to live with a disability. And so, you know, it would be easy for me to get really, really grumpy and be a really unpleasant person to be around if I didn't make a really conscious effort to not be that way, you know, and it it does, it becomes a habit in the way that you look at things. And I'm a firm, firm believer that in the challenges that we experience in life, you can make them far, far, far worse, or you can make them so much easier, more tolerable, um, easier to get through with the mindset that we embrace about them. If I chose to be, you know, an angry, negative, pessimistic person, nobody would want to be around me. And so, you know, yes, I live my daily life in a wheelchair, but I have friends and I have family and I have people that I talk to every day, but I wouldn't have that if I drove them all away with my anger. And so, yeah, I I think that it's a choice you make and it's a muscle that you build. And, you know, I, I really think that some self-awareness when life gets hard about, you know, who you are and how you want to handle a situation is in fact, I, I had a, um, a manager once who was telling them this really stuck with me. Um, and I think colored a lot of how I've done things in the last few years, but he was telling me one day at work that he had this family friend who had, unfortunately, they had, they had lost one of their small children to some kind of illness. And he said that, you know, they, they went to the funeral and they were very close friends of these people. And he said that he watched them throughout this process. And he said that if he were ever to go through something like that, he would hope that he handled it the way that his friends did because they were so hopeful and gracious and kind and generous throughout the whole thing. And I think that that's one of the things that I want, you know, I think about how I want people to think about me or describe me. And I I think that that's an amazing compliment to to pay someone that if life got hard, you'd want to do it the way that they did it, yeah. you know, because people are watching in our daily lives. Well, there's something about you and the truth about things that suck, whether it's the podcast or the book that is so admirable. It actually, it's interesting. I was in, in the last episode, I was telling the story about my blessed grandma Lee and a diagnosis mm-hmm. of Unfortunately, cancer, like she at a hundred kind of knows what the end looks like, at least the end on earth. And she has been through so much in a hundred years that she is almost unfazed, primarily because of her faith. She just is like so connected to her faith that like, you know what? I've gotten through everything else. I'm going to get through this. And on the other side of this is something far richer than anything I've even experienced Mm. on dear Lord bring me on home. But I do think there's something awesome and like admirable in, I, you know, I think about your stories of the set of stories in the book in like, in a way that like, you don't want to have to go through the hard things. Like, yeah, there is a lot of truth around what these sucky things end up bringing to your life. But one of the things that they bring is proof 
that you can get through hard things because you've already gotten through them. And so Mm -hmm. I just, one of your coolest characteristics from my perspective is like, oh, it's going to be hard to release a book. It's going to be hard to write a book. It's going to be hard to, you know, publicize a book. It's going to be hard. Great. I've been through so many hard things. You think (laughs) it's going to be hard? That's going to, you know, hold me back. And that's not a muscle that a lot of people have necessarily trained Hmm. because maybe they haven't been through as many things, or maybe they, you know, when they went through the hard thing, they didn't get back up as quick or they didn't learn as much as they could have, or they, you know, for me, like there was plenty of times when I was going through a hard thing and instead of sitting in the hard, I was trying to mute the feelings associated with the hard thing. So I didn't have to deal with it by drinking. And I lost the opportunity to gain something that would have better prepared me for the next hard thing if I'd have just yeah. allowed myself to sit in it. And um, your story is just, again, are just such a rad reminder of like, yo, I have been through some stuff, which makes me know with 100% certainty that I can get through some stuff. Let's go. Yeah. Well, thank you for, for saying that. And, you know, we can we can all do hard. And, and you know, one thing I want to say is that I've had great support systems in my life. I I have an amazing family that never let me make excuses about things that I couldn't do or or didn't want to do because they were hard. And so I grew up knowing that I could do hard. And I know that a lot of people out there don't have that, but it's still something that's possible, still something that we can cultivate in ourselves. And part of it is knowing, being able to look back at something hard that you've done and going, son of a gun, look at what I did. If you get to do that a couple of times, it's kind of addictive. (laughs) Right? What's um, in in next week's episode, teaser, uh, Heidi and I are going to have a conversation about what happens when someone does something, makes a choice, that inflicts hard things on you. Mm. Not sure that I'm necessarily looking forward to this episode, but I do think it's going to be a good one because- It's a uh, good one. Right there, like I had to make some choices that ended up being just so unbelievably inconvenient for the people I love the most in this world. And I had to be okay making those choices because they were what was necessary for me to become- And they came with this guarantee that there were going to be some people that were mad and inconvenienced and upset and whatever else. And, you know, the truth about some of the hard things that we experience is that um, you can either try and protect people from that hard in a way that denies what you might need to become fully who you're meant to become, or um, you can as respectfully and uh, as, you know, decently as you possibly can choose yourself, even though it's probably going to create some pain for somebody else. And Mm -hmm. the beauty that ended up coming in the experience, part of what we're going to talk about is I delayed doing something that would have inconvenienced people in my life for so long because I underestimated their ability to respond favorably to that pain, to that inconvenience, to that whatever it might be. And um, in every way, whether it was my kids or Heidi or Rachel or whatever, like I actually think that as much as it sucked and it did, um, it reframed a little bit of how I like maybe don't next time underestimate the way that they have a capacity to handle whatever the hard thing is if it comes in service of some greater good for me or someone I love. Interesting. Anyway, don't don't definitely don't under don't underestimate on behalf of other people. Yeah, <laughs> it's a thing that I've done because I'm someone who wants to caretake and and make sure that I um, am keeping happy. Um, you know that there's there's so much codependency that I'm trying to unlearn in this body, but part of that codependent part of myself is like whatever you do, don't make these people unhappy. Don't make them mad. And a lot of times it came to the expense of getting help or being okay to say that I even needed something in my life. And uh, anyway, we're going to dive into that. All right. Before we go, because we are running low on time, if you could name what you hope someone who picks up the truth about things that suck, this book that's coming out in just six weeks worth of time, 
What do you hope someone gets from this book? What I hope that anyone will get from this book who picks it up is a new perspective on the way that they look at their own challenges in their lives. And just to know that, you know, you you will get through it. You may not enjoy it. You don't have to enjoy it. That's certainly not a requirement, but these, these, even these difficult experiences in life are largely what we make of them and choosing who you want to be as you go through these things, what you want to learn, what you want to take away from them and how you want to allow them to improve you or improve your life is all up to you. Yeah. I wish that there was like a, a lens through which we could see the way we would have perspective for the hard thing that we're currently experiencing and how we would be grateful for what it produced in real time. Yeah. It's one of those things that you just don't get most of the time. You're frustrated. You're like, how could this ever become something that's good or that I learned from? I mean, not to beat a dead horse, but like when I think back to, you know, stepping on it and doing a live I never should have, I was certain, I mean, I was certain that I would never, ever do anything publicly ever again. It was just like, I was just like so embarrassed. I was so exhausted. I was so scared. I was so, so many things. And I, in that moment, I couldn't imagine anything that could be good that could come from it. Yeah. The after effect was I had just like handed on a silver platter the like just the greatest gift to anyone who wanted to be critical and man people ran with it and again i was like how could something good come out of this and i mean i spiraled and spun and all that kind of stuff and it's so crazy because i now sit on the other side of going down to the dark dark part of the forest and into the valley and whatever else and i can see that me not having access courage me gifting critical humans, the greatest gift ever. Um, It was a massive opportunity for me. In a way, I thought it had ended my career or ended my life. What a hyperbolic thing to say. But in so many ways, it saved my life. Like it forced me to Mm. slow down. It forced me to take a step back. Even like in stepping away from social, I'm, you know, almost three months into being outside of this ecosystem. And so much of the weight that I was affected by having been away from it for so long, hasn't had any effect whatsoever because if a tree's fallen in the forest and no one there is there to hear, does it make a sound like there, there are no sounds. And I, I only say it because if I, in that moment could have appreciated, man, it stinks that everything's going to have to burn down for just a little bit of time. It stinks that you're going to have to step away from your life. It stinks that you're going to have to step outside of this thing that you enjoy in social Yeah. Trust me, Dave, you know, with the benefit of time, you're going to have some perspective on how amazing all of those things having to happen in the sequence that they did were the only way that you would actually be able to see some of the stuff that you need to see to Uh continue on this journey in a way that allows you to do so free from the weights and the anchors that these things have represented historically. And, um, you know, so if you're going through a hard time, I just I really want to encourage someone to believe that when you have the benefit of perspective or the gift of time having passed, you will see this hard thing that you may not deserve, that isn't fair, that sucks, like literally sucks in real time, Something uh-huh. that did in fact allow you to access something that you wouldn't have otherwise had access to, yeah. taught you something that you wouldn't have otherwise been able to learn. Uh, so much of the learnings came through a bunch of things that were super, super hard that I wouldn't have wished for. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't undo it now because man, there was so much good that came in kind of, you know, the forcing to the knees, the having to do a full audit and inventory of all of the things that now um, were kind of brought back down to the very, very root base level. Yeah. It's so true. And, you know, when I lost my job three years ago, best thing that could have happened to me. My career took a completely different direction and I'm doing things today that I would have called you a liar if you told me three years ago I was going to be doing. Right. You know? So, so yeah, it's hindsight is 2020, but I think history 
it's all there. If any of us look back on the hard things that we've been through, you can look back on those things and see some of what they gave us and maybe the blessings in disguise that they were. And I believe that regardless of what we're going through, every single hard thing that we have to endure in life teaches us or has the, the, the potential to teach us grace and patience and courage. And that's at a, at a minimum, I believe you can get those three things from any hard thing. And it, it kind of only goes up from uphill from there. I love it. All right. Final question, Mindy Henderson, my friend, author of a new book that's coming out called The Truth About Things That Suck, also a podcast. Uh, make sure you find that as well. When we close this show, we ask people a single question. Is there a thing, a, a key takeaway, a thought, a quote, something that you would hope to gift this audience with that you just know deep down in your heart, they need more than anything? It could be a question, actionable piece of advice. What's the one thing you want to leave with listeners today? I think I'm going to go with one of my favorite quotes. And I, I quote this all the time. We've talked so much about bravery and courage today that I this, this one feels right. So Mandy Hale says that being scared is okay. Being scared means that you're about to do something really, really brave. Yeah. And I love that. That speaks yeah. to my soul. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That is good. All right. Mindy, if uh, someone who's listening is interested in learning more about you, wants to dive into some more of your work or listen to your podcast, where do you send people when they are interested in knowing you online? Yeah. I've got a website, MindyHendersonCo.com. And uh, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm all the places. You can listen to the podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, all the places. Um, again, the truth about things that suck. So yeah, I would love to connect with everybody. Send me an email, let me know what's on your mind. I love it. Mindy, you are a good human being doing good work in this world. I am happy that you lost that job. I'm happy that you got brave, decided to pursue the calling of these last handful of years because the work you are doing matters and it is going to have an impact on all kinds of people. And I am here for it. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed this episode, please find yourself Mindy Henderson on the uh, Instagram. Find me, tag us. Let us know what you thought. Tell every human being you've ever met in your entire life and uh, make sure that you remember that little gem at the end of this episode that Mindy shared with us. Get scared because it's when you get scared that you're just about to get brave. You're about to embark on something big and bold that's going to help you learn and grow and become. Between now and next week, I hope that you find yourself pushing outside of safe and comfortable spaces for the opportunity to be all you were placed here to be. Thank you, Mindy Henderson, for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. I appreciate it. We will see you next week on the Rise Together podcast. Rise Together is hosted by me, Dave Hollis. This show is edited by Andrew Weller with production support by Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. 